Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome to the Politics Guys with your hosts, Dave Parson and Michael Darnowski. Welcome to the Politics Guys. I'm Michael Baranowski, a political scientist at Northern Kentucky University. My co-host this week, as always, is Cleveland area attorney and sometime Republican strategist Jay Carson. Hi, and welcome to uh, this week's edition of the Politics Guys. Uh, Mike uh, is will still not level with the American people on his health concerns, and he is still ill and uh, not able to make it to this show. So oh, we have filling in for him, uh, Dominique. Uh, and uh, I, I believe she will she will handle this uh, capably, right, Dominique? That's correct. So, <laughs> uh, you know, we're we're going to lead off our our uh, top story this week is of course uh, the election coverage. We had a uh, debate here uh, last week, and we've had another uh, Trump press conference uh, in which he he tried to sort of pivot to seriousness, pivot to issues. Um, that being the idea of making it less about him and more about uh, uh, the issues. Um, and and I think sort of with the poll show with, with mixed success, uh, he still seems to be trailing, uh, particularly in, in swing states, although he is closer to even uh, in places like, like Ohio. So, Dominique, uh, what, what was your thoughts on, on first the debate and uh, sort of the, the Trump pivot? And is it is it too little too late? Uh, 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 or, or where where can he go from here? Well, I I think at this point Trump's goose is cooked. To be honest, I think it is too little, too late. Uh, the debate. I think he he had an opportunity to um, you know move away from some of the ugly jabs and get more focused and really dig into more of his policy. And I I think he missed a lot of um, opportunities there. Uh, and I think he also showed uh, his ignorance in terms of uh, constitutional law. Um, you know, his jabs are just getting old, I think, to the American people, except for his hardcore sort of supporters. Um, he had a lot of chances to talk about, you know, some of the ways that he would be bringing uh, manufacturing jobs back, uh, his ideas on abortion, I think, were uh, sort of a turnoff to a lot of women. And then, of course, we had the um, the what a nasty woman quote, which I don't know your thoughts on it, but I found to be particularly. Uh, uh, well, I, you know, I think on, on, on that, like that's that is uh, Trump being Trump. Uh, and I think it, it plays to to his base. Uh, it plays to certain people who who don't like uh, Hillary, and then there is the, and I'll say, and we'll probably get get some people from this, a, a shrillness factor. Uh, that said, um, when you you are a Trump and your probably biggest demographic that you're having problems with is women, uh, you you ought not to go and and say that. Um, so uh, you know, to me, a lot of the Trump thing it reminds me of um, what. Uh, uh, the composer uh, Rossini said about uh, Richard Wagner's work is is that uh, it has some some great moments, but some awful half hours. Uh, and, and and Trump is is sort of like that in the debates. He'll 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 have an answer, and, and um, uh, you'll say, "Wow, okay, this is 
you know, whether you whether you agree or, or, or not with the policy he's espousing, um, you can say, OK, this is this is a cogent, uh, forceful answer expressing the policy. Uh, and then, you know, within moments, he'll wander off into to something else. Uh, and and it, it, again, it's sort of he, he sort of stays on message early in these debates. And uh, uh, as they as they go on, he sort of can't resist. He, he can't help himself, but get into the, the sort of nasty jabs. Right. And um, I think, you know, one of my biggest concerns across the board, whether it be a Democrat or a Republican president, I'm I'm very dedicated to the idea that we have somebody in office who really has a good grasp of constitutional law. And I was actually a little irritated with Wallace when he threw out this question to both of the candidates about, you know, how how will you interpret the Constitution Um and is it a living, breathing? It being the, not the president's job to interpret the Constitution, but yeah. Well, but where do you stand on it? Do you have, you know, what is your what is your thinking on it? And I got the impression that Trump really didn't even understand the question. And I was sort of taken aback by that um, and felt like if you if you don't have a grasp of that, then I'm alarmed at the idea of you being in the presidency. Yeah, you know, and I'll tell you that that is, I have I've gone back and forth as as most solicitors know with Trump, because there's there's always a part of me that says, uh, listen, this guy is, uh, you know, he went to Ivy League uh, business schools. He's he's been in the uh, public sphere. He's he's uh, uh, run with sort of the the fast crowd and. Um, you know, had had a, a fair measure of success, and you'd have to think he would he would uh, have this sort of understanding of what goes on and how the the republic works. And I, it it sort of I go back and forth of is this sort of just for show? He's not buying into this. He's not going to give some sort of egghead kind of answer, um, <laughs> or he or he just he just doesn't know. And it's again, it's a head scratcher because. I would have to think that that uh, you'd have a better, clear understanding of, of where he's coming from. But that also might go back just to, to message discipline or, or discipline in general that, uh, you know, is he preparing enough? Is he focusing? I mean, it's it's tough to uh, to be on the spot and come up with with answers. And there needs to be some sort of practice in, in there. Um but there doesn't have to be a whole lot of practice, if you know what I mean. Right. Sort of, uh, like, like you said, it's sort of the the, the idea that the. You know, that's that's a question that you ought to expect that sometime in a presidential campaign you'll be asked um, and you ought to have an answer prepared. And, and it seems that that he didn't. Um, right. And I mean, being able to decide whether you believe the Constitution is a living, breathing document or it's you know, it should be interpreted based on the founding fathers is something you should have a good answer to by the third year of law school, right? I mean, he's running for president and he's right. offered this well, I mean, question. Yeah, typically you get a, a good answer, you know, as you're going into law school. I mean, right. on that, or, and, and again, uh, I think you and I would probably come up with different answers on that or to varying degrees. But, but like you said, you, you understand the question and, and can articulate uh, a, a response. Um, you know, something else on, on, um, that happened last week, of course, was the the Al Smith uh, dinner, and it's a a 
sort of a, a fun, almost, although I don't want to say like the, uh, the press club, uh, dinner where it's, it's all just joking, but the idea is, is, uh, self-deprecating sort of good humor, the candidates, uh, appear, uh, before a, it's a Catholic organization, um, and sort of trade some good natured barbs, but the idea is just to, to show we're all, all, all together and, uh, uh so forth. And this year's was, was really, Took sort of a, a dark, <laughs> a dark right. turn, uh, <laughs> and, and, on you know on both fronts. Right. Um, uh, you know, for example, uh, Hillary suggesting that uh, Trump was having problems with his teleprompter because he was trying to translate it from the Russian. Right. Um, uh, there were there were a couple funny bits. Um, I would say uh, Trump's thing about Hillary wasn't didn't get the invitation because it came through email, and mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm trying to think. I think Hillary's best shot. Uh, which again I think was was funny but not and I'm trying to I'm trying to maybe you can help me out here. Um, oh man, you- I well I can tell you one of my favorite shots that he sort of let out over the bow was when he said uh, Hillary bumped into me and she said pardon me and I looked at her and said we'll talk after the election. <laughs> that is good. That's good. I, I, you know that that made me chuckle and it it you know it. Watching it was like you almost saw this human side of Trump. And and what was a little bit too awkward for me was the fact that for the first time, he completely stayed on cue. He read his cards and and he was saying you can tell he was reading. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And people are booing and he's going, you know, we're just having some laughs. We're just, (laughs) and people are not laughing. And I was going, if there was ever a moment to kind of sidestep what's on your cards and acknowledge what's actually happening, maybe now would be it. But he didn't seem to, uh, you know, take that cue. Um, but but it did get a little bit uh, darker than usual. And, and you can tell that the two of them just really do not um, care for each other. And I, I think that's one of the things that's bothered me so much about this election. You know, I going back to like, you know, John McCain, when he was asked um, about Obama being Muslim and he immediately said, you know, Obama is an upstanding man. Yeah. He's a Christian. You know, you, there are times in the past. Right, right. He's, he's a, he's a, an American who I, I respect and we have disagreements on, on policy issues. Yeah. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm excited to have an election where we're back to that, to be honest, you know, instead of two people who seem like they just actually hate each other. Um, but I do think from the debate, one thing that I thought was, very interesting and and gave me an idea of just how um, how little Trump understands the female vote was his quip about uh, calling Hillary such a nasty woman. And I it, yeah. it took me a little while to understand exactly what irritated me so much about it. But I realized it's because. You know, he really was using woman as an insult. Such a nasty Mm -hmm. woman. It was like, okay, your feelings on women have been made abundantly clear in the last few weeks. And for me, that was just like the nail in the coffin on that one. If the coffin wasn't already nailed, right? With all of this. Well, I was going to (laughs) say. But I don't. Did you really need that much more? 
No, but I think he's just, you know, losing women voters and you cannot win an election without women voters. And so, you know, that was one of my big takeaways from it. And it yeah. was it was a small part of the debate, but a big part of it for me. Well, you know, and I, I'm going to hit on something that, that it just sort of occurred to me, and that is, you know, so often uh, in American life and this this happens more on the the Republican side than the 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 uh, Democrat side. But there's this idea of we want people who aren't professional politicians. Uh, we want people who tell it like it is and we want people who sort of speak their mind and so forth. Um, but we very much become accustomed to and, and rely on uh, professional politicians who who do say the right things, who don't uh, 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 wander into sort of the unnecessary insults. And it's one of these things where it's, it's sort of like, um, you know, you're the crazy uncle at Thanksgiving um, right. who, who, you know, look, I mean, he may or may not be, be certainly sexist, misogynist, whatever. I'm not saying your uncle's like Trump. Uh, I, I've never <laughs> met your, I've never met your uncle. He could be a wonderful person. But, but uh, the idea is, listen, there are, there are people who this is just the way they talk. Hey, it's the, the girls in the office. It's the, you know, hey, honey, how you do? And, and it's sort of a generational thing. Um, and in, in certain spheres, uh, certain businesses, you can get away with it or you're sort of forgiven because you're, oh, that's the, that's crazy old, what's his name? And that's just the way he is. Um, but when you're running for president, you, you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. And that sort of shows where you have that, that lack of discipline, right? That if this is someone who had been running for office, running for, for, you know, whatever dog catcher, uh, had some sort of experience, uh, wouldn't be saying those kind of things that are just, um, you know, I, I don't even think he's, he's thinking about it. No, and um, he's certainly. No, I don't not. think he sat down and had like sort of a conversation with with his his uh, uh, his his brain trust or or did a focus group on you know what's the best shot to take at Hillary Clinton. Someone who came up with nasty woman. Right. Um. It's it's just uh, uh, that's the way he talks and he's never thought otherwise and it, it doesn't occur to him and I think that's that's a big problem when you're you're running for the, the highest office in the land and and you know sometimes it, again it, it early in a campaign. And it's sort of fun or sort of goofy because, hey, it's like the, you know, can you believe what he said this time? Um, but at this point, if he really wants to win, and I think you're right, there's there's really not much that can be done uh, on that front uh, in, in making him appealing to, to women. Um, I, it's 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 just it's death for you. So right now. All right. But so that's a, what, what do you think of the. Oh, I'm go sorry. Ahead. No, go ahead. Oh, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna go to. What do you think, as far as the electoral map goes? Um, is is there still any sort of conceivable uh, route for uh, Trump to get to 270? At this point, I I do not believe that there is. I just don't think he. I I don't see a conceivable way for him to get there. How about you? Well. You know, I think it's always been he'd have to sort of run the table in some of these swing states. Uh, he would have to win both Ohio and Florida. Uh, I think his numbers have ticked up a little in Ohio, depending on what polls you look at, uh, but he still trails. Uh, Florida, he's he's having difficulty. Uh, Pennsylvania, it looks – Pennsylvania was always going to be sort of a, a tough climb because you want to say that's a swing state, but it, it leans Democrat. Um 
I, I, I think he's, he's sunk in, in uh, Pennsylvania. And then there's also just sort of these other, I guess, sort of little indicators, for example, that uh, uh, Trump is losing in, in Utah. Um, now, again, you might say that that is, is perhaps due to his, his personality that just doesn't go over well. He's sort of, I mean, in many ways, the, the anti-Romney. Um, but the idea that a Republican would not carry Utah – uh, you know, regardless, it, it doesn't figure in the electoral math that much. Right. Uh, but it's but it's an indicator uh, that that he's having trouble attracting um, your your typical Republican voters. Uh, something else I think that's that's curious and and I would say troubling for Trump and Mike and I have touched on this a couple of times is what's happening in the down ticket races. Right. Um, a lot of these again, there it appears from the polls that there are a lot of voters mostly Republican voters who are who will split the ticket, um, you know, indicating, for example, Rob Portman seems to be doing fine in Ohio. Uh, John McCain seems to be doing fine in Arizona. I think the polls show Rubio uh, is probably going to be OK in Florida. Um, but in each case, you have the Senate, the down ticket uh, Republican candidate outperforming uh, Trump. And and that's that's got to be sort of troubling. If I'm in the Trump campaign, uh, how is how is turnout going to help? And again, it's all it's all polls and, and some polls are more reliable than others. Uh, but I keep seeing that that trend. Yeah. It, and I think what should be even uh, well in the same in the same note, um, what should be alarming for the Trump campaign is the fact that the likelihood of the Democrats taking back the Senate is growing. And I think that that is just a reflection of the fact that Trump is losing, losing ground in a lot of different states. Um, you know, I know polls have the Democratic Senate at this point somewhere between, you know, 65 and 72 percent likelihood of becoming Democratic, whereas, yeah. you know, at the beginning of uh, this election, the House was never on the table and the Senate was sort of a real reach. Um, and, you know, I I do not. Well, I would see I would I differ with you there. I, w- I would say that I think the the Republicans would have had a, a tough time holding the Senate regardless of Trump, uh, just because of the map, just because of uh, how many seats are in play and, and where they are. Um, the Republicans were, were going to have it was going to be an uphill battle. Um, but I would have I would have started with the premise that it's more likely than not that Republicans would hold the Senate. Um, and now I think that that is sort of flipped um, because of Trump. So now do you think that there's any way that the Democrats will take the House? I, I, I very much doubt it. And, and, you know, the reasons for that are just the way House districts are drawn. Uh, there are, you know, when you consider there's there's 435 seats uh, in any given year, fairly few of them are really in contention. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, it's, that's either because of um, you know, personal issues that, that uh, one one candidate has, uh, you know, certain regional issues going on in that district uh, or, uh, you know, it's, it's just one of the few district few districts that is actually drawn as competitive. And I think we're going to we're going to touch on this in our ask the politics guys question um, about how uh, uh, districting, redistricting, gerrymandering uh, affects American democracy. Um, 
but I think I think that's that's a truism. I, th- I think that just the, again the, the drawing of the districts, it's it's it might even help Trump to some extent. I, I think it's it would be a heavy lift for the Dem- Democrats to uh, get get enough House seats. Um, but that said, it's it's quite probable that Republicans will lose a couple seats. I I agree. I mean, I I do think the Republicans will lose a few seats. I don't. Um, you know, me coming from where I come from, I would love to see the Democrats take the House and the Senate. Um, but I I don't see that happening. The, really, it's it's funny. The only way I see that happening is, you know, we I think we keep seeing Trump imploding and having more and more scandals. And you kind of wonder, what is there anything else that can come up like? Is there anything else that could really rock this to a point where um, there's sort of a wave election? I don't see that coming, but, you know, it could with the with Trump. Yeah. And, you know, I don't see I don't I don't see a wave election this year either, just because the nature of of the two candidates um, that that they're both so disliked and and dislikable. Um so I, I yeah, and, and the other thing is there's not any real um, overreaching uh, partisan partisan issue that say all Republicans can't campaign on. There's not an Obamacare out there that's saying look, put us in, we'll repeal Obamacare. Um, right. Uh, nor is it uh, you know, for example, in in uh, 2008 where you have a, a huge uh, economic downturn uh, and and there's a, an uprising of we just need you know clean sweep. Uh, uh, change everything. So I, I, yeah, I don't, I don't see that. This is in, in a lot of ways a little bit like, uh, the, the Dukakis Bush election, um, of, of 88, uh, where, where there aren't that many real issues that are in play. It, it, it's more personality. And in that case, uh, you know, it was sort of a Bush referendum on, on a, a Reagan third term. Right. Um, and, and there's a little bit of that uh, right now is, is you know, Clinton going to be a, a third term for Obama. Um, so, I, yeah, I don't I don't see any any momentum building out in the other the other districts for a wave. And, and I think we would have if that were the case, we would have seen that in polls so far. Right. You right. know, I mean, you usually waves. You, you kind of see them coming coming a ways off. Mm-hmm. Um, so. So now what? But, uh, just out of curiosity, what do you see for the future of the Republican Party? I mean, you this is your party, and and you seem like um, I, I uh, can cry if I want to. <laughs> um, uh, well, you know, it, it's it's one of these parties win elections and lose elections, and that's Republican Party's been doing that, uh, you know, since 1860. Uh, so I think the Republican Party will survive. I posted something. Um, on the Facebook page the other day, it was sort of a, what I thought interesting take on sort of the intellectual roots of, of uh, conservatism and, and have conservatives lost the public, the Republican parties to the, the populists. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, that's, I think something that's going to be interesting is, is now they're a populist uh, movement uh, or, or a populist, uh, I guess, establishment, even if you will, in the Republican party that wasn't there before. Um, mm-hmm. I, that's that's something that we as a party will, will have to deal with uh, uh, moving forward. Um, and the funny thing with with you know populist movements, it's always kind of there, but you haven't really had a leader uh, to to 
be be the head of that. And and Trump is at this point uh, sort of stepped in. I mean, Ross Perot sort of did that with his his third party uh, bit back in the uh, early 90s, but it, it didn't really pick up any steam. Um, so I, I think it it remains to be seen. I think the establishment is still in control, and that's why we call them the establishment. Um, in control, I guess I shouldn't say in control, or we wouldn't have had a Trump nomination. <laughs> uh, but but you know, for example, I mean, Paul Ryan, Mitch McConnell, those type folks are still uh, uh, seen as the the party leaders. Um, I don't see there being enough uh, support to to change that, at least in the near term. Um, and, and some of that will, will, uh, depend on how Trump does. If he loses badly, I, I think the, you know, the, the empire will sort of strike back and say, look, you know, we're the establishment. We told you this was a bad idea. Uh, and now look where we are. Um, if Trump, Trump does, uh, uh sort of well, then, uh, there will be that sort of, um, idea of, Hey, let's, let's, uh, you know, give it another try uh, or maybe split in a third, uh, you know, take a, a third party run. But, we will see. So we'll move it on from from beyond um, electoral politics, which yes. we've got so much of. Um, you know, in the news was the the announcement from the uh, International Association of uh, Police Chiefs uh, issuing uh, essentially an apology for for the ill treatment of of minorities, sort of broadly in broad historical context. Uh, uh, and this was something that. Is, is a little unusual. Well, I shouldn't say it's a little unusual. It's really unusual. I don't think it's ever happened before at all. Um, but what do you think is uh, coming from the left, Dominique, as, as far as this sort of apology? Uh, is it is it helpful? Is it hurtful? Is it just sort of a you know little PR blip? Well, I think it's I I think it's much more than a PR blip, and I think it's crucial to start. Uh, the conversation, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement has been growing. And, you know, one of the things that we've seen is um, we've heard communities of color saying the police are policing us in a way that we find intolerable. Um, we feel like we are you know, facing brutality, we're being shot. I think one of the big things that has come into play are smartphones and the fact that people are now able to record sure. yeah. um, a lot of these interactions. And I, I will say this. I say this while acknowledging that I do think that the police, being a police officer, has got to be a very difficult job. And in a lot of ways, probably, um, you know, it's it's a a no-win situation uh, because you, you're you fighting a reputation and you're wanting to do good and you're wanting to help people. And, you know, right now police are really getting a bad rap. So what one thing that I really thought was great about this apology was the idea that this, you, you know, to quote um, the, uh, the chief of police, it was, for actions of the past and the role that our profession has played in society's historical mistreatment of communities of color. And, well, and that's what I thought was also interesting because it, yeah, it seemed geared. They, they, in some ways, a sidestepped a little bit of, of what's been happening lately and focused more on uh, sort of the broader past. 
Yeah. And, and I think that that's good, but I think in, in citing that, and then he went on to say, um, you know, there's a dark side of our shared history that's created a multi-generational, almost inherited mistrust between many communities of color and their law enforcement agencies. And that I feel like is at the crux of this issue. The fact that generation after generation after generation has been taught and, and has been taught by example to not trust the police. Um, you know, when I was a prosecutor, I mean, one thing that was very difficult was getting people to come in and testify. No matter what happened, people did not want to testify against each other. Um, and it, there was just a general mistrust of the police and prosecutors in general. And so I think that this is important in that it says, look, we have to take some of this responsibility. We want to legitimize what your complaints are and we need to make some changes. Um, and and that can't just be coming from the Black Lives Matter movement. It can't be just, you know, demanded. There has to be some return. Um, and yeah. so I'm hoping, I'm hopeful, I'm hopeful that we can change the way that, you know, uh, people are being policed. I'm, I am hopeful <laughs> eternally. Yeah. Well, you know, my, my take on this, and I, I start from a, a place where I'm not a big fan uh, of the historical apology. Apology, um, just just for for a lot of reasons. Okay. Um, uh, you know, it, it's I don't know. So often to me, it seems to 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 uh, refresh our grievances uh, rather than to put them aside. Um, that said, uh, I think by doing what they did, uh, uh, framing it in those terms. It, it does open the door for a conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm less hopeful that it, it makes a big difference in the long term. Um, but, uh, it, it's, it's a start. Um, uh, you know, my, my, my take on the Black Lives Matter and, and, you know, Mike and I have talked about this on a number of shows is, um, you know, my view of this is, is largely that there is not a, 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 you know, is, is there an inherent race that's that's driving all this uh i would say in most cases no if you look at these the, the shootings that we've had over the past two years uh police killings i think you need to look at them based on their individual facts uh there may be some which are if not racially motivated then then racially tinged you know for example that just uh it, it's an inherent unconscious even bias uh, and, and the responses for that are, are, are better training, better screening, that sort of thing. Um, uh, but so I, I understand that the police chiefs don't want to give credence to uh, situations where there may have been justified uh, shootings. Um, but at the same time, open the conversation. So, I, you know, I, I think it's I think it's OK. Um, I think Mike was probably thinking that I would be infuriated by it. Um, but, <laughs> but uh, I, you know, like I said. That historical apologies are always a little, a little weak. Sort of, you know, apologizing for what your your grandfathers did or didn't do. Um, uh, but uh, well, I think you the, know the conversation is is important. Well, when it comes to historical apologies, I I see where you're coming from, but I also think I I I I rarely think it's a bad thing for people in a position of power to say. In the past, 
this power has been used to mistreat a certain group of people. And for that, you know, we are sorry that this happened. Yeah. And and my 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 response and the reason I, I don't like them is it's because. It usually comes – the historical apology usually comes with the – and so what are you going to do for us now? Uh, it's That's what's – you know, I think so often um, you, you've got groups out there who will use historical grievances uh, to extract some sort of political advantage right now. That's not to say that the historical grievance isn't real uh, or, or that it, it, it uh, shouldn't be acknowledged. Um, but, you know, let's also be realistic. And we had – you know, this is – and, and again, I, I don't want to diminish uh, the one issue talking about uh, police killings, which I think is 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 big, is tremendous. Any sort of abuse of state power is something that that ought to be uh, viewed very, very uh, in a very harsh light. I mean, we need to need to take a look and make sure people aren't. But you know, for example, uh, as you know, I'm a Cleveland Indians fan, and there was a, a Native American activist in um, uh, Canada who last week during the uh, playoffs uh, sought an injunction from a Canadian court to prevent the Cleveland Indians from wearing their uniforms, uh, anything that would say Indians, any of the, the, you know, the Chief Wahoo logo, and also wanted the broadcasters to be prohibited from saying the word Indians. I mean, that's sort of, to me, nonsense. Um, uh, You know, that's not to say that American Indians weren't mistreated horribly. Um, uh, but again, that's that's sort of why I'm I'm not crazy about the, the historical apology idea. Well, I think that what I and I just I, want to get in my Indians. <laughs> and congratulations, although I will be Thank rooting you. for the yes. Cubs. Um, I I I think that a historical apology falls flat in a lot of ways. But the reason I think this one didn't is because. It acknowledged the fact that there is this multi-generational mistrust and it ended with a, uh, it, it almost felt like a call to action. Like, okay, this is not what's going to end police brutality. This is not what's going to end police. I mean, pol- communities of color and white communities are policed differently. I, from personal experience, I, I, I truly think that's, I think that's that. fair to say. Yeah. And, this is not going to be what changes that, but it, but it moves us closer and we have to get closer and closer because otherwise, you know, we're going to have a really significant problem. I mean, this is, this is bubbling up. This is coming to the surface. And, um, you know, I, I want this to be handled peacefully, right? You want, you want this problem to be solved peacefully. And so I think that this helps. I, I think it's a good start. That's where I fall okay. on it. All right. Well, I think next we're going we're to move on to our, our listener mail. And uh, this week we have uh, a letter from Chris uh, here in Ohio, um, uh, who is who is really jumping on the bandwagon after my uh, presidential platform announcement last <laughs> week. Uh, he says, Hi, guys. Poor graduate student in Ohio here and longtime listener. I felt that after hearing Jay's presidential platform that I just had to donate. I'm a past libertarian who will unfortunately be voting Democratic in this year's election. Uh, I found myself agreeing with several of Jay's broad stroke points, mitigating regulation, role of judges and the free trade. I especially liked his line about promoting peace through trade and focusing American labor on products 
services America is best suited to providing. <clears throat> Uh, I felt that he was lacking, what, uh, in two areas, though, uh, social issues and climate change. Other than being pro-gay marriage, what are Jay's public stances on other social issues like abortion and gender equality? And what about climate change? Uh, he also asked if we can uh, name some folks who would hold that same sort of, uh, what we'd say, social liberalism and uh, fiscal conservatism uh, or some other fiscally conservative Democrats. Uh, he says, thanks, guys, and please don't ever stop making this podcast. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm, I am flattered that that, uh, uh, that uh, you listened and, and you like the platform. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess the best way to answer is in a lot of ways I, I am um, – I wouldn't say I'm a social liberal, but maybe I'm a social libertarian. Uh, that meaning uh, I, I don't endorse that uh, we ought to have a, a wide social uh, um, change, but I, I appreciate and respect everybody's right to to do their own thing uh, to to the extent it doesn't harm anyone else on those issues. So that's, for example, gay marriage. Uh, I'm I'm for gay marriage. Now, when you say I'm, I think you, the letter said totally pro gay marriage. Um, I don't know that that's accurate. I'm not out. I'm not out marching. I wasn't out marching. Um, but if you asked me, you know, where do you stand on it? I'd say, well, I'm okay with it. Um, uh, in terms of uh, other social issues, uh, I am pro life, uh, and and uh, very much so. Uh, that said, I'm also pro constitution, uh, and. And I, I, my, my pro-life uh, views are measured by, uh, look, what is is uh, legally permissible under the Constitution. And the other, you know, big piece of this, this is just, again, the way the way I look at the world. And I think other uh, others like me do is, as a, a conservative, if you want to say a libertarian slash conservative. I believe that the government has caused a whole lot of problems. A lot of the the this disruptions to the social fabric that, that we've seen in the last 50 years. Uh, a lot of them have been, have been wrought by the government. Uh, a lot of it has been wrought just by, by technology, just by uh, other changes. Um, but just because the government uh, messes something up doesn't mean it's necessarily the best uh, entity to, to fix it. Uh, so, for example, while I, I say I'm, I'm, I'm pro-life, I think the better way to pursue that cause uh, is is in uh, uh, not through our government, but through our other institutions, uh, through our churches, uh, through uh, promoting adoption, uh, through you know promoting contraception. Uh, and I would probably differ from from some uh, you know doctrinaire uh, conservative Christians on that. Uh, but but to me that's that's the the bigger piece of it. Uh, yeah, I am uh, conservative to that extent on those social issues. But the way you address them, I think, is not through more government regulation. Um, uh, it, it's through it's through these these private uh, uh, institutions, and I mean, includes starting starting with the family and, and building out from there. And so how about that's, climate change? I guess change? that's that's the quick climate change. Don't get me started. Um, <laughs> I think Mike once described me, and and I there was an English uh, writer, and I'm forgetting his name right now, uh, who described himself as a a lukewarmist. Uh, and I guess that's sort of where I come down. Uh, I'm not I'm not one of these people who denies that there is any climate change happening. You can you can look and say, uh, OK, uh, things are changing. Here's here's the uh, the climatic record. Now, I view that with a little bit of skepticism for a couple of reasons. One, the 
the uh, uh, situation where the East Anglia uh, data, which was was destroyed, which is just incredibly troubling to me that, that any scientist would destroy data, um, uh, you know, after it was it was adjusted. Um, it's 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 like it's Dr. Zayas at the end of Planet of the Apes blowing up the, the cave so they don't find the the, the doll. Um, so I, I'm skeptical. Uh, I'm also skeptical uh, in terms of the resources we have, you know, assuming to the ex- some extent that, that that climate change is man-made, and I'm not I'm not denying that 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 can be happening, but you have to look at what can we do about it uh, from practical political standpoints. Uh, unless you've got some real uh, enforcement mechanisms to ensure that other countries aren't going to be cheating when we make a, a climate uh, climate uh, change agreement, it's not going to be that useful. And even in the long term, uh, it may or may not be that useful based on the cost benefit analysis of of you. You take, you know, billions, perhaps trillions of dollars uh, out of the economy uh, to combat climate change. And maybe you change, you know, the 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 temperature 100 years from now by a a degree or so. Uh, I I am a big fan of uh, Bjorn Lomberg. Uh, who wrote a book, uh, he's written several books, but the, the big one was called uh, Cool It, uh, where, where he, he essentially says, yeah, he accepts that climate change is real, uh, but um, one, it's, it's not as catastrophic as as uh, uh, some would make it, and two, there are better ways to handle it uh, than than the sort of uh, carbon cap and trade uh, or, or carbon restrictions that, uh, that have been floated as results. So that's that's the, the the quick quick answer is Dominic you can you can tear into that I suppose if you want but <laughs> I mean all I hear you saying Jay is that you don't care that polar bears are just drowning if you're a polar bear polar bears, stay away polar from bears are Jay great, they're great they're great swimmers they're they're born <laughs> yeah until born they swim. can't swim anymore <laughs> and they have no they're ice really- to climb onto if you're a polar bear stay away from Jay. That's well, all that's, I have to say on the topic. <laughs> that's true, and, and they have they have so far. Um, um, you know, I I, I tow gen, the general uh, a party line and b you know agree with the vast majority of the scientific data out there, which says climate change is real, it's man made, and and I am uh, happy to see um, you know different countries coming together to. Uh, agree to change, make some changes. I think it's important and quite frankly, you know, it's never been more important to me than now that I have my children. So that's where I stand on it. Okay. Well, fair enough. Well, regardless, and again, we didn't mean to leave Dominic out of this listener mail question, but it was more directed to me. Um, oh, oh let's, let's, as, as far as other candidates who are out there, um, as I've said before, I, I sort of, fit in the the Paul Ryan, uh, uh, Jack Kemp, uh, John Kasich sort of uh, sort of camp, I think, uh, of folks who are, I'd say, fiscally conservative. And um, I'm trying to we, we need to come up with a better word than socially liberal, because I don't think socially liberal is is the right definition, because I think, you know, people like uh, Kemp and, and uh, Ryan and uh, Kasich were, were all, all very much uh, pro-life. Um, but uh, uh well, I think we should, also, work, we, should work, we should work on that again. 
it, there needs to be a different label because in my opinion, if you're fiscally conservative, I, I've always found this to be a fallacy. If you're fiscally conservative, generally that means that you believe in cutting back on social spending and social spending is a, a liberal issue. So you can't be fiscally conservative and wanting to remove, um, you know, different social services from from people and still, who and need still be it. a warrior for justice. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I mean, it, it just has always struck me as an odd thing. It it basically is saying I'm fiscally conservative, but I'm pro-choice and now pro-gay marriage. And I think that there needs to be a different a different phrase for that. I agree with you. What, what do you think on the, the Democrat side? Who, who do you see a there who would be uh, well we'll still use the terminology that we have uh, fiscally conservative because we just haven't come up with anything else yet um, uh, fiscally conservative but but socially liberal Democrats um, a one that comes to mind is Hillary Clinton I have always found her to be right of um, center in in her position in the left Um you know, I I think I think that's not that's not a bad comparison. Again, she is she has been, um, you know, I mean, in my view, OK on trade. Um, I wouldn't say she, she's fiscally conservative, but but there's a sense of um, I don't know, not not a socialist. Uh, there's there's sort of right. a sense that, you know, uh, at the end of the day, there still has to be some sort of balancing and there's still has to be real money. It's not just just uh, everything for free. Um and when oh, you I'm look at how, where Bernie Sanders came in and, you know, I think he's really pulled her to the left of where she was um, when sure. she started her election campaign. And so, you know, I think right. her positions will kind of even out a little bit. They'll swing a little bit more to the conservative side. Yeah, I mean, governing is different than than uh, running for office, obviously. Probably the biggest example I can think of, of uh, Democrats who were – to some extent, fiscally conservative uh, would be Bill Clinton. Um, you know, he uh, he uh, uh, signed NAFTA, uh, essentially campaign pushed for NAFTA. All that's I, I wouldn't wouldn't say consider that fiscally conservative, but it's still the 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 idea of uh, more trade as opposed to uh, protectionism. Um, and he signed welfare reform, uh, and with the help of. Uh, and perhaps at the 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 insistence of uh, uh, people like John Kasich, who was the budget chairman, he had a balanced budget for a couple of years. Uh, now, would would Bill Clinton have been um, uh, more of a more of a free spender if he didn't have uh, uh, that Republican Congress reining him in? Well, almost certainly. Um, but but I think you can you can say that uh, uh, he would fall in that camp. And I I don't know how many others are. Or out there like that. Before we go to our next story, we also would like to thank Chris for his financial support. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you're interested in supporting the show financially, we can. You can do what Chris did. Go to politics.guys.com. That's one word, and click on the PayPal donation link we've got set up there. We'd really appreciate it. We also have some special rewards for our listeners and supporters, which you can check out by clicking on the listener rewards link on our site. And as always, it would be a big help if you could spread the word about the show by subscribing, 
sharing and retweeting our new show posts on Facebook and Twitter, and leaving reviews and ratings of the show on iTunes. All right, on to the Supreme Court, Jay, and specifically John McCain stating that the Republicans must hold on to the Senate so they can block any of Clinton's Supreme Court nominations. What are your thoughts on these statements? Well, I think I think maybe Ms. McCain is is speaking in campaign mode. Um, uh, certainly, it's it's a good thing to play that up. That's probably the best issue Republicans have this year is is uh, we need a Republican Senate uh, not to block any nominee because I, I don't think that is. I, that's not realistic. We're not just going to say no. There can be no nominee, but you want a a. Uh, Republican uh, Senate, if you're Republican, uh, in order to make sure that the nominees that that would eventually uh, be appointed uh, are 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 people who conservatives can can at least live with, can at least tolerate. Um, so are you and, saying he's misquoted here because he specifically said blocking any? Of well, I'm not saying he's misquoted. I'm saying he he mis misspoke uh, or or perhaps in. Uh, he was he was using sort of shorthand the idea of we're going to block her nominations. Um, you know, look, it's it's <laughs> there's also and the other thing is 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 sort of funny. It's there's a little bit of a, a uh, implied uh, outcome in what McCain's saying uh, as as to uh, you know why and that doesn't bode well for Trump. Um, but uh, no, I, I think that's sort of. Standard talk. I think maybe he, he overstated it by saying uh, block all nominations um, because clearly that that won't happen. And and I was on the record uh, earlier saying I, I think that the Senate should have given uh, Merrick Garland hearings uh, for for the very reason of playing up that that issue, uh, playing up the the you know hey this is this is why this is important. Um, but they didn't listen to me. So no, I, I think I, you know look. Um, McCain's talking campaign mode. He's trying to, to to hold the Senate, and that's the sort of things that you say. Uh, I I don't think there is a a real possibility that the Senate would would uh, block all nomination. Well, I think, uh, but they might block some, as 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 for example, the Democrats did with with Robert Bork, uh, and they ended up with uh, uh, Kennedy. Right. So. I mean, I have no issue with the Senate. That was a good trade on their part. <laughs> blocking nominations. I, you know, it's it's their job. The, I just find the, the Merrick Garland issue to be so unprecedented, and I think it's such a reflection of how um, how divisive and it, it, there's just such a lack of of any interest in working together um, for the spirit, just in the spirit of the way our government generally works. I find that to be fairly disheartening. And I also believe that the Republicans kind of shot themselves in the foot on that one, because, you know, if there's one thing that I hear Democrats over and over say, you know, there are two things that I hear. Number one, we cannot have Trump in office. Um, he's unfit. And number two, you know, we have to, we have to focus on the Supreme court nominations. And I know plenty of Bernie supporters who, he generally would not be voting for Hillary, but the Supreme Court is such a big deal. And, you know, the Merrick Garland issue has people fired up, you know, the audacity of the of the Senate to just decide, hey, we're just not going to look at this, sure. um, you know, has people feeling like 
okay, well then you need to be removed and we need to get people in who, who will. Um, and I don't think that will fare well for Republicans. No, I think that's, that's being used in, uh, in, in some states. Yeah. You know, you haven't seen much of it. I haven't seen much of it in Ohio, but I think in other Senate races, it is being played up, uh, more. Um, uh, but, uh, uh, no, I, I think, uh, McCain just over, overstated it. Um, there will be hearings and, and you're right. There is, there is to some extent, uh, a duty of the opposition party to kind of hold the other side's feet to the fire on these things. Um, uh, but we will we will wait and see what happens. So that's it for uh, our show this week. And we want to thank Dominique for sitting in and wish Mike a speedy recovery. Uh, we expect he'll be back next week. And we hope you will be, too. Uh, remember, please uh, uh, share and uh, rate our, our uh, uh, podcast. And uh, we will talk to you next week.